Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben Wilson, and I'm sitting six feet apart from Reverend Robin King this afternoon, roughly six feet apart. We're uh, both enjoying a delicious coffee that we each made ourselves. Uh, it's taken me a little while to get used to not preparing coffee for the both of us, Robin. And so, oh, I bet it is, Ben. Well, I, I enjoy it, and I, I feel like it's the least I can do for all the time that you give. Um, so generously, but the last few episodes of the podcast, we've been recording at the church and you've always got a pot of coffee on at the church. So I show up with my cup of coffee and I don't have to feel guilty because I know you've already got your coffee. So then today I was feeling like, oh, should I make an extra coffee or would Robin not want me to hand him a cup to drink from that's from my house? And, and then you didn't respond to my text cause you were on your way here. I, I guess already. I'm not afraid, so Ben. You're not, you're just, I'm not afraid. No. Well, I'm glad that I'm you're cautious, willing, but I'm not afraid. I'm glad you're willing to um, to have coffee with me and that you brought your own so I didn't have to feel guilty. And it turns out, as you told me just before uh, we started recording, that you have joined the ranks of people who are a little bit snobby about their coffee like me, or at least you've upgraded oh, your equipment. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Robin, when you, okay, when, yeah, I would say when that. you invest in a conical burr grinder and read about it on the internet, you have officially become a coffee aficionado. The thing is, Ben, I can't tell the difference. I don't, and honestly, I, I honestly can't. And I don't know, I, not that I've taste, taste tested, I can't even say the words. I haven't had enough coffee, that's why. <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't know, sincerely, don't know whether that's because I can't tell or I don't care. <laughs> Like I just like I like the caffeine in coffee, and and I I don't particularly care for the taste. I definitely don't like things like mocha, anything else. Like, don't give me a mocha cake or you know anything like that. Um, but uh, I honestly don't know whether it's because I don't care or uh, I can actually. Or if your tell. taste buds are yeah. not refined enough. Sure, let's go with like that. Like I too. am with with wines. Like I I will enjoy if someone gives me a really good wine. I'll think, oh yeah, that's really good. But I bet you I would not do well in a blind yeah. blind taste test. I wouldn't. Eat. I just like what I like, and um, I don't know that much about it, so I can't really tell the difference. Yeah. And I don't really. It's not a big deal to me. So yeah, and coffee's kind of the same way. Not that I don't recognize it is for other people, and they're fine with that. Well, that's important. That's I, I'm glad yeah. you respect that. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about fear, and we're going to talk about doomsday. Yay! <laughs> so that's yeah, light. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so this this concept of the doomsday clock, which I was not entirely familiar with until you brought it up as a suggestion for a topic today, is um, you were telling me it's basically um, when the race for nuclear armament back in what the fifties, I guess, no, in the forties, even late forties, I think, yeah. When that was taking place, uh, someone very clever uh, suggested the idea that so having having so many superpowers with their finger on the button with of, of so many deadly weapons of mass destruction that we were actually nearing the point of or reaching the point where we had the potential and the capacity to wipe ourselves off the face of the earth as a species or basically make the earth uninhabitable through um, a global nuclear conflict. And they came up with this concept that the threat level, sort of like the the index of how where are we at with uh, like forest fire risk index, they would adjust accordingly to what was going on in global politics or what was going on in the development of this arms race, and that needle was getting closer and closer to midnight on the clock, meaning D Day or Doomsday. Mm -hmm. So. Why? What? What brought that up for you today, or why were you? Why have you been thinking about that? It's, it's actually it's kind of interesting that you said the way you just described that, because uh, when we look at things like forest fires, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, but like on the Weather Network now, um, they 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 track um, how serious um, things like uh, I think it was mosquitoes, black flies, and deer flies. Oh, really? But with a with a color coded um, green through red. Like green goes right. green, yellow, orange, red. I think, or something like that, um, and how how bad it is, right? Just like they give you a UV index or and a that kind smog of thing. index if uh, you're in smog index. a big city. Um, we register if you're going into a park. Usually, you'll see a fire threat level, forest yeah. fire threat level, yeah. and it'll be a meter that goes somewhere from you know green to red, right? Right. Um, so if it's pouring rain, it's going to be on green, but if it's been dry and there's been drought for a while, it's going to be on red, and um, even. Uh, 
I I don't know for sure that this is like this, but but when you when you see movies um, where they're you know they're in the war room, right, and they got to go to DefCon Four or whatever it is, right? Each of those things is color coded, right, and it gets progressively worked like to red, right? Yeah, or in hospitals they have and code yet, blue, code black, code, right, code right. orange, code it's yellow, color coded, yeah, and yet. The scientists went that came up with this idea of the doomsday clock went with time. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, how much how much time, right? Um, so instead of being a um, something that progresses through colors from from good to bad, it's how close are we to midnight? And and right now we're at a hundred seconds. That's not even two minutes. That's pretty close. Yeah, that's kind myself. I kind of like to be somewhere around, you know. I'll, I'll give a little edge to to everybody. I'd like to be somewhere around about you know four thirty five, say in the afternoon, maybe <laughs> uh, uh, maybe three thirty. I don't know, a little yeah. bit earlier, you know, around tea time, something like that. At least like, like before happy hour. Sure, yeah, um, so that you can get a happy hour yeah. in before the end. Exactly. Um, but but they went, a t- and I think that's really kind of an interesting. I wonder why they did. Um, in my head, I think I kind of go. Because they're trying to make it clear that we have time, we have time to stop that. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can hopeless. back it up. Yeah, um, and and you know, if you're if you're using color coder thing and you're on red, the end is near, my friend. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just kind of yeah, you're already there. Freak out time. Um, but but you know, a hundred seconds to midnight. That's pretty darn scary, right there. It is. Yeah. And is this? You yes, say, I think this is. I think this is actually the closest we've been, or one of the times we've been closest. I right. think there's been, there might have been two other times that we were this close. And this has been recently updated. Uh, January of this year, it went to 100 seconds. Yeah. Okay. I think it was at one. It might have been at 120 before that, like two minutes or something like that. But hmm. yeah, we went to. And the thing about it though is that that I was I was thinking about it because I, I think like they include factors like like nuclear arms. Um, political instability, um, wars, that kind of thing. Things where we're being intentional about being malicious. Um, but um, I, I don't know that includes things like um, pandemics and stuff that are not necessarily intentional, unless you subscribe to you know a variety of conspiracy theories. Uh, but but also it won't include. I doubt it would include things like. Um, everybody's just fear of each other, right? Like uh, with, with Black Lives Matter um, and, uh, y- you know... Th- just different racial tensions. And- there, so there's different racial tensions to begin with, and then there's uh, uh, gender tension as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and all of that stuff going on at the same time, and I know they include political instability, but uh, I'm not saying that this is a political instability factor so much as generally... Politics has gone in the direction of there's far left, there's far right, and there's no middle ground. And how we address uh, politics isn't about working together to do the right thing or the best thing. It's about conflict. It's about Mm. getting our way. You know, this party gets its way or that party gets its way, Um, you know, or um, even even when it comes down to to many of those uh, earlier issues like race and gender and stuff. Um, it becomes not a conversation that you can politely have. No. Right. And and that's that's both that's both um, people are aggressive about their point of view, and they're also I think people are really people are, can be really aggressive about not wanting to take responsibility for anything, mm-hmm. and particularly something that they don't perceive to be the responsibility of say their generation. How do you, what do you mean by that? Well, it, so so when it comes to dealing with issues of well in Canada and particularly with First Nations uh, Indigenous people, um, and dealing with with issues of uh, race in the well anywhere, um, a lot of that stems from things that happened years ago. Yeah, I'm yeah. not responsible for that. I can't be held responsible or accountable for something that you know generations before me did. Well. Okay, but you can be held for accountable for it being perpetuated, and you can be held accountable for the need to restore balance. Yeah, the, the thing about responsibility that's um, that's exciting or empowering is that responsibility 
doesn't simply mean fault and blame. Responsibility can also mean... But we assume it. We, we do treat it that yeah. way for the most part. But it can also mean choosing to be responsible as in I'm, I'm going to stand up and do something yeah. about that. I'm going to own it and I'm going to make it better. Yeah. So even yeah. if your great-great-grandparents great, great owned slaves or stole um, treaty land in, in Canada... Um, from the indigenous people and you feel like you're so far removed from that, that it has nothing to do with you. Well, you can still choose to be responsible, not as in at fault for it, but responsible for being part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I think, um, even, even when it comes down to things like the, like the whole statue thing, right? Right. You know, People, you you want to take down a statue of somebody because that person was responsible for X. Um, well, you can't take that statue down because it's history. Well, n- no, it isn't. We don't put up statues for history. We put up statues of people to glorify people. That's the point <laughs> That's, of statues. And and we put up those statues to not only glorify them, but to make sure that people know that we think their position and their opinion was important. Yeah. That they did a great thing. And that's why the whole thing about Confederate generals especially they were the enemy sorry yeah and they lost like you don't see statues of hitler and goering and goebbels I was anywhere just in germany <laughs> yeah. uh yeah, i'm, I'm sorry um you, you just you don't and and uh, and and the thing is that that for some reason then people argue that well it was a way of life and everything yes but your way of life was built on slavery and you can't say it wasn't because oh yes it was yeah um i mean that's a historical fact that's not that's not up for debate it's not an opinion um lots of people will defend um you know the confederacy on the basis of while they were standing up for state rights okay great but some of the state rights that you were standing up for uh were the right to own people yeah that's not right that i mean it sorry it's just not. Uh, and and so I, I truly do believe it's important to acknowledge history and to know your history. I'm. It makes me very sad to still see that there's um, history books uh, in Canada that don't acknowledge the Indigenous point of view. Um, uh, or, or even, uh, oh, somebody had a, there was a, um, it was, I think, either elementary or junior high textbook that was being still being used in schools that says something about how uh, indigenous people were quite quite willingly signed treaties and were happy to do so because they got a great deal and oh and like goodness. honestly <laughs> where the hell did you get that and how is it not being um, pulled and, already yeah and how how is that still even out there right but then you know how are still people waving a confederate flag what we call what we refer to as confederate flag and using it as a symbol of, you know, the good things of the Confederacy. That was the Confederate battle flag. It wasn't even their flag. It was the battle flag. Hmm. The war's over. They lost. I didn't know that. Um, and, and it's just kind of, it's, I, I, and I'm, that sounds, even as I'm hearing myself say that, I think that sounds horrible. The war's over, you lost. Um, because, you know, history is written by the victors, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's important to it is important to acknowledge the voices of everybody. Yes, it is. So yes, it is important to acknowledge the voices of the the Confederacy. Absolutely. Let's acknowledge the voice of the Confederacy saying, "We want to own people." Would you like to discuss that now? In twenty twenty. Well, no, they don't want to discuss it now. <laughs> In fact, actually, some do. But but that's it's just not right. Sorry. There's a, there's a line between lifestyle and opinion and hate. Yeah, yeah. They're just yeah. So if if we were looking at this concept, so we're supposed the, to be talking about fear, and that's something I'm afraid of. Yeah, I just well, throw that, that in definitely there. ties into it for sure. But so back to this concept of the doomsday clock, Robin. If they were coming up with this uh, 24-hour clock and uh, and trying to assess where the the needles were going to be on that clock during the American Civil War, you would obviously take a conflict like that into account. The global, like world wars, the nuclear, uh, the level of nuclear arms race, uh, like you said, factored into that. But what I'm interested in around this conversation at this point is 
it's a, like you said, it's kind of a blurry line where like, what do you, what do you include and what do you not include when right now in the States, you could look at the, the news headlines and, and think, and many people do think we're there again on the brink of a civil war. But yeah. so there's, there's so much civil disruption and unrest and, and oppression and um, conflict just within the United States, let alone any tensions that are existing between uh, the United States and Russia or Canada and China or pick any other, yeah. any part of the, the Middle East or so, or, you know, different dictatorships that are in power and, and all of those other factors you mentioned. But it it's like, I mean, it's just a concept that people came up with this idea of, you know, being a hundred seconds away from midnight, but we, where do you draw the line? Because there is, there is just so much unrest, so much, threat to stability and peace within all of human society. Or there's a lot to be afraid of, Ben. There's, there's, yeah, there's there really a lot is. to be afraid of. Um, well, and the other thing, I... I so really, is, is it an index of fear? Well, yeah. Um, well, and then, and then we could really, we could really go down a rabbit hole here with um, the, the Doomsday Clock's a global... Uh, thing measure right? yeah it's a global measure um so how is a global measure impacted by the current instability in in politics and race and everything else in the u.s how is the globe and so it'd be really easy to adopt a um sort of trumpian approach to that by going who cares about everyone else it's about right. us america first um and and as not America go, well, that's their problem. As long as they keep it there, we're good. Except they don't keep and, it there. And that's not how it works. And that's not how it works. And in fact, that's not how it works just generally, wherever it is where things are, are happening like that. Um, it does turn into a global thing when you start having uh, like refugees and and, and the, that that kind of politics influence their foreign policy as well right that's right and and it just so it does become a global thing and then at what point do you kind of go um yeah but it's their global thing we should let them handle it or how can we offer assistance or support with that or how can we critique that are we allowed to critique that can we critique for instance from canada can canada critique other countries on their on their uh behavior around um uh, race and uh, the rights of uh, individuals generally when we have our own issues, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes a question of, yeah, you deal with your own stuff first and then maybe we'll listen. And, well, the parable nobody's of the ever speck gonna... and the log, right? Yeah, except, you know, does it does it truly mean that you can't say anything? Because then nobody would be able to ever. There'd be ever. no social discourse or commentary, perfect, right? Yeah. yeah, and and actually that gets into the. I think that actually takes us to the scariest part of all. And I wondered. This is what started me thinking about the whole doomsday clock thing. Is should we have a clock, or perhaps maybe a threat level meter? I don't know. Um, for uh, the manner in which we address these issues, because right now. Uh, we address them in conflict. There's no, there's far left, there's far right. It's really difficult to find a middle ground where people are actually willing to have conversation. Um, and that's not, that doesn't turn into us versus them, right? It's one of the things around, uh, it's it's why, um, it's why it's so, the, um, the, the this whole like systemic racism thing uh has turned violent because people are angry mm -hmm. because no, we haven't talked about it. No, we haven't tried to address it. And, uh, and, and people are angry. Yeah. The civil Things rights movement changed. was 70 years ago or 60 yeah, years that ago or something. Everything. And so, no, no, it didn't. Exactly. And, and we need to, and it, there's still issues. There's still problems. And, and, uh, you know, even the, the conversation around defund police. Okay. Sure, that might not be the perfect language to describe what's actually meant there, um, but it's language being used in the moment by people who are angry mm -hmm. and upset. Um, so why aren't we addressing that? I think it's an indicator that if people are so, and I mean, you could just say, well, they're 
uh, it's just as you know, criticize the idea. It's just a stupid idea. But I think if you if you have intelligent uh, people advocating to defund the police force, that is an indicator of how bad those people view the situation to be. That they would t- advocate for a solution that's so extreme that we have to cut the budget in half or or but, completely of our police services. You know, it wasn't find that a completely different model. It wasn't that long ago that here in Bashaw we had a community meeting in which we were talking about the fact that um, local RCMP shouldn't have to be going into a situation that requires them to have a social work degree um, and yes. mediation training uh, and and a and a a PhD level understanding of mental health. Um, that's not what they're trained for. That's right. Um, why are we? Why are they doing that? Why? Why? Why aren't we funding programs that uh, that allow for them to at least have someone with them who can who is knowledgeable of that and able to? Be, mm. I don't. I don't even. I can't even begin to guess or understand how that might work. Um, but I do know we need to be having conversations about that. Yeah. Because because rightfully so, police are trained. To respond with force and authority, because for the situations supposed, where it's required, except they're being now put into situations where force and authority isn't what's required. That's right. And what's they don't required have other is mediation tools. and negotiation. What's required is an understanding of mental health. What's required is an understanding of this and that and everything else. It's five billion other things, and we're still making them go into situations like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it's just kind of and and. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I do understand people are upset about the language of defund because that sounds like we're taking money away from the police. Um, but that's not really what it means, right? Um, and, and I'm not trying to land on one side or the other of this conversation. I'm just trying to point out that a conversation needs to happen and it's not able to happen because we're too busy fighting over what language we use or what responsibility is whose and uh, social media is not helping that because people can respond flippantly and, and without any thought whatsoever. And instantly it's like that, the classic meme that's going around now, right? Is that, um, Oh, who to believe uh, about this whole pandemic thing? People with decades of training and understanding and science and PhDs and, and research and study, or my next door neighbor who likes to barbecue. Who am I going to believe on? Who's appropriate authority here? <laughs> um, we know who the appropriate authority is, and don't be saying stuff like, "Yeah, but that was the same authorities that used to say this about this and used to say this about that." Of course they did, because science is always about learning new things. It's yeah, always about yeah. research, replacing and a model experimentation. With a model. That exactly, and you're always learning new things. It's like when we started out with this thing, and it was like, "Oh, yeah, the mask is not going to help you." And now it's everybody wear a mask. Well, obviously they didn't know what they were talking about. Well, no, they didn't actually. They were just trying to help you, and now they've learned more. Or they were trying to preserve the supplies for the frontline workers who needed them the most and didn't. But but didn't then they learned, freak everybody right? out. Uh, even in, I, I, you know, I, I love the. Um, our, our pharmacist here was was great right from the start. Right, he did. He was doing um, little uh, Facebook Live things about information. And one of the things he said uh, right from the start, um, which made me want to listen to everything he said after that, was, "This thing is new. We just don't know." Yeah, so I we're trying him to. That a lot. Yeah, we're trying to figure out what to do. Um, and we have no, it's brand new. We have no research. We have no time frame um, for being able to develop statistics or anything like that. We're just trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And and now, months later, we figured out that wearing a mask does help you. We figured out that you can, you know, you should be able to do this, but you may not be able to do that. Um, it, we figured out some stuff. Um, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. That's not your opportunity to ridicule those same professionals for not knowing it three months ago. We, we hold science as this, uh, we hold it out to be this thing that we expect to be perfect and always right. And the irony is that the whole, um, the first principles of what science is tells us that it seeks to prove itself wrong. Like what science does is pose a theory and then go to every length and extent you can possibly can to to break that theory or to prove it wrong and if you can't then for now we'll hold it as true yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to the fear part of that, though, is that we're now, you know, here we are um, trying to make sure that people aren't freaking out <laughs> fear over this, um, but at the same time trying to be cautious, right? Yeah. Um, and learn how to take proper care of things uh, and, and each other. Um, re remember how when this started, people were saying things like, uh, I just hope when this is over, people remember, um, you know, how important it was to be kind to your neighbor, how important it was to stay connected to people, uh, how important it was that we acknowledge that essential workers aren't just doctors, um, police, firefighters, and, and uh, you know, EMTs and stuff like that. It's also the person who cleans the toilets in the hospital. It's also the person who stocks the shelves in the local mm -hmm. grocery store. It's also truck the driver. truck drivers. Yeah. It's um, lots of people who are essential. I hope you remember that. Remember, it's school teachers, definitely essential. And now it's like, can't wait to get my kid back in school. Um, but, you know, it, it we started out with that and haven't heard that for a little while now. Yeah, it kind of fades away. Yeah. That, that, so gratitude is a powerful uh, emotion that I think helps to, well, we, we know, speaking of science, we clinically know that the emotion of gratitude will is effective at uh, accelerating the process of uh, getting rid of the cortisol that's in your brain, which is a stress hormone. In other words, gratitude directly combats fear, fear and anxiety and stress. And so it's interesting that our collective societal response to the pandemic was to fairly early on, like really very early on, focus on all of the things that we're grateful for and all the people that we wanted to acknowledge and thank. And you saw a lot of different campaigns around that. A lot of companies were... Mm -hmm. Um, putting up billboards and social media campaigns and videos thanking essential workers and, as you said, expanding the definition of that and who we deem essential. And then I, I would agree with you that we aren't hearing as much of it recently and because there's kind of been this overall fatigue where people are getting just tired and, mm -hmm. and that... We're at sea in a in that metaphor, right? But we're all at sea at, as in a storm. Yeah. It's the same storm, but we're in different boats, right? Yeah. Um, despite the, you know, people saying we're all in the same boat. We're not, because we're all different. But we are in the same storm. Well, now that storm, um, you know, it, even from the beginning, right? There were people who were, it's fake, or it's a conspiracy, or, you know, it was intentional. You know, there's all those conspiracy theories. Or we're just and overreacting and but, just but need to get back to business. Yeah, but the predominantly it was the you know the gratitude and the you know be careful mm -hmm. and take care of yourself and mm -hmm. and you know and now we've kind of reached a point where the the uh, the sea has shifted and we're we're now afraid of the people who are like it's a conspiracy theory. Um, I don't care. I'm going to be fine. You know, the there's, people who are like let's have par <laughs> let's have parties. Um, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's it's like um, we just, uh, it would be actually really easy, I think, right now to look at the world and go, we just shift from one fear to another. Yeah. Um, if you're the captain of the boat, are you more afraid of the storm on the horizon or the mutiny that's brewing below decks? Yeah. Yeah. But but at the same time, though, um, we, we're, we're missing it. We're, it's not like there aren't people trying to say positive and encouraging things it's not like there aren't people doing kind things it's not like those things aren't happening we're we're here but there's there's a lot of uh uh there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of confrontation and there's a lot of um you know i gotta have my way uh and uh i think those are i'm more afraid of stuff like that uh i i'm way more afraid of stuff like that than whether or not you know North Korea is going to fire a nuclear warhead at the U.S. and start a war. Um, although now that I say that out loud, I'm maybe afraid of that too. But um, it would be really easy to get sucked into all that fear. So speaking of what you just said, you just triggered something for me. You named it. And then you said, ooh, now that I've said that, maybe I should be afraid. So we often, though, will hear that when you name something or when you turn on the lights and look at where the scary shadows were, it's no longer so scary. Or when you name your fear and you, so, and you talk about it with someone yeah. that you love, you realize that that thing that you were so anxious about 
is not as big as you maybe had it in where it lived in your imagination. Right. And I, and I'm using that example because we're right now we're dealing with this new fear that Grayson has of the dark that he never used to have. And he's just about, he'll be like six in October and he's suddenly decided that the dark is scary and it was never scary before. Mm-hmm. So we, we've read you him. To we've read Chris him, Hadfield's Chris book. Hadfield's book, yep, The Dark Your buddy Chris dark. Hadfield. Yep. Yeah. We've read that book several times. And um, I don't think it has anything to do with that book, but Kelly has started framing uh, or talking to Grayson about the dark in a really creative way that I, that I love. And I, I should ask her, I don't know where she got this from or if she just made it up, but she said to, she's, she tells Grayson when he's um, feeling anxious about going to bed or being in the dark or waking up in the middle of the night and needing, wanting us to come and help him get to the bathroom or come to our room or whatever it is. She says, you know, Grayson, there are a lot of different kinds of dark and there is scary dark, but what kind of dark do we have in our house? And she, cause she, and she's um, reinforced this over and over again to him that the kind of dark that we have in our house and in our bedrooms at night is rela- is is a dark that's that we need. It's important and it's there to help us relax and rest. So and she'll say, and we get to choose which kind of dark it is. So. She's laying in his bed, getting him to settle into bed. And she'll say, if he seems nervous, she'll say, I know it's dark, hey, buddy, but what kind of dark is it? And he'll say, the relaxing dark. That's right. This is the relaxing dark. It's not the scary dark. And so she's kind of empowering him to choose that, mm-hmm. um, that, that what it means, right? So this thing that you're afraid of, give it a context and choose what, what it means. And it's, it's so cool to see that work in the brain of a five or six year old and see it shift their relationship to this thing that they're afraid of. Or in a 30 year old or a 50 year old or. Absolutely. We we don't, Um, we don't really change that much as we age. We all still have these things that we're either irrationally afraid of, or even when there's good reason, um, we have a relationship with that thing that we're scared of where it lives in our mind as often much larger than it is yeah. in real life. So, uh, not to turn this into anything religious or anything, but um, that's my thing about um, uh, Jesus. Most freak the thing he says most frequently, right? Yeah. Is don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, and in fact, don't be afraid or fear not um, appears in the Bible quite frequently. But Jesus says that more than anything else. And it would be really easy to, of course, then immediately assume what that means is flip a switch and don't be afraid. Um, But I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is it's okay to be scared. But remember that uh, when you're scared, um, God is still with you. You still have, you still have, you know, all your, your heart and soul and mind engaged in things. Mm. Um, don't let it stop you. Right. Right. Shine a light on it, like you said, or, you know, step forward into it and engage it in a way that allows you to learn about it. And what you might learn from that is you shouldn't, you don't need to be afraid of it. What you might learn is you need to be afraid of it, but here's how you can deal with that. Yeah. Right. So it's not like saying, um, a, you know, a tiger is coming at me right now. Oh, it's just a big cat. I'll be fine. Right. You need to acknowledge you should be scared <laughs> and here's what you can do about it, but to not freak out about it. Right. And same yeah. with the dark. Right. Because if you, if you miss out, if you're, uh, if you, uh, if you simply take the approach that, um, um, darkness hides things that are evil and bad, um, you're missing out on the things that darkness hides that are good. Right. Mm. Seeds grow in the darkness. Right. That's the, 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 the natural one. Um, but there's other things that are in, um, well, like, I'm just trying to think of us who wrote, it was, uh, Barbara Taylor wrote, uh, about, uh, the darkness and, and, and good things come from the dark, can, mm-hmm. can come mm-hmm. from the darkness. Right. Um, and even if you, even if you look at it from, from, and, and I realize this is not science, but if you consider that, um, Amongst the good things that come from the darkness is that the day comes from the night, right? Or does the night come from the day? <laughs> well, it depends uh, on your perspective, right? Yeah. But again, 
it's it's about forward it's about yeah. engaging it's about finding out and and that's the thing about fear is that we tend to react um I, I think these days we're reacting to things that we're afraid of by aggressively blocking them or or refusing to deal with them or simply saying wrong get rid of it yeah and we're we're not even taking the time to find out what it really is or what it's really about and finding out if there's something we can actually do do about it if fear so often is based really in <sighs> in ignorance right yeah. Or just a lack of awareness. The, I was laughing because just when you said uh, the day turning into the night and night turning into day, I'm in my brain I was picturing, you know, the earth turning and the, the, the dark side of the earth and, um, and how thinking, okay, so how would you explain that to like a child, right? And recently, again, there's a story about Grayson. He asked me while I was laying with him one night uh, in the dark and, and uh, helping him get to sleep, he says, Daddy, um, how long is the night? And I'm, of course, I'm thinking, okay, he's wanting to know, like, how long he's gonna be sleeping for before he can get up and, and play Lego again or whatever, right? And um, I said, well, like, a day is 24 hours, so there's 24 hours in a day, but that includes the day and the night. So already, that's confusing for a child that like. A day well, is a day and a night, and well, time, what's, yeah. right? So how does that divide? And and then I thought, well, well, how do you d- divide it? Because if you go from sun up to sun down, then that changes based on your latitude and base, based on time of year. And I'm not going to get into that with him. I said, well, roughly speaking, Grayson, a day is about twelve hours long, and then the night is about twelve hours, and that adds up to twelve plus twelve is. And he's starting to learn some some addition and stuff right now. And I said, so 12 plus 12 is 24. And that's, that's the whole day, the day and the night. And he says, so at night is 12 hours. I said, yeah. So night's about 12 hours. And he goes, what? Oh, and right away, <laughs> I realized that in his mind, he's just been told that he's going to, you're going to have to lay there and just lay still for 12 hours before you can get up and play again, which in his mind is like, it feels like an eternity. And then I realized that and I said, but don't worry, you're going to go to sleep and then you'll wake up and it'll feel like only a few minutes have passed, but it'll be the whole night. And again, just, it's so fascinating watching kids as they're, you should probably let Kelly explain those things, Ben. Well, she did great um, with the, the dark, and so yeah, I think you're right. I think she's on a roll, and and I get way you too know what? complicated. The thing with is, them. no, no, I I totally, I'm joking. I totally take that back. Um, the the point, I think, the most important thing to remember is that we engage it and have conversation about it, um, and we have we have conversation that involves listening. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a. Um, actually, that's kind of funny because. Uh, Again, not trying to bring religion into anything or anything, Ben. But um, um, particularly, uh, th- well, this week we got a we got a parable um, from Jesus in the gospel reading, and um, it, it's one that begins with "listen," and then he tells a parable, and then those who have ears listen, right? And and I was thinking when I was thinking about that, I was think, kind of thinking, you know, even from when I was a kid, the moment somebody says to me, "listen." I immediately stop listening because I know I'm going to be told something. Right. Told right? what to think, what to do. Yeah. And but that's 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 what we do, yeah. right? When when we when we want somebody to really hear us, we'll say something like like I really need you to hear me or I really need you to listen and immediately people will stop listening because they don't want to hear. Right? And except do they like if we if we actually did want to hear like if we listened to learn instead of to mm-hmm. respond mm-hmm. um and that i didn't make come up with that. i forget who said that originally but but that's that's a really valid thing is that we tend now to listen to respond rather yeah. than to learn and because we listen to respond and we haven't bothered to listen to learn we haven't learned so we're just forwarding our agenda forwarding our agenda on to others and that's going to lead really quickly to aggravation and frustration and conflict and mm-hmm. before you know it yes far left far right nobody's occupying the middle ground and lots of people i know especially in politics uh, people see the middle ground as uh you know compromise no man's land it's no man's land Back to rather than the place where you would meet to make to have conversation learn and and come together mm-hmm. on something right so it becomes less about 
working together and coming together on something and more a place where you're going to have to give up something in order to, mm. you, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's too bad. Uh, again, that means people are going to be afraid of the middle ground. Well, I, you know, it makes me think of all these, uh, different shows uh, about like the medieval times where you have these two warring uh, armies or, or the, the Viking times, right? Where you have these two armies that are about to, they've, they've come to the, this, this place where they know the battle's going to happen and you've got the king uh, or the leader on each side and they ride uh, in their, all their, their shiny armor into the middle ground to talk terms or to discuss how they're going to wage this war or whether there's some way that they can make come to an agreement that would avoid all this just carnage and bloodshed of slaughtering each other and hundreds or thousands of people dying. And of course, in most of the, most of the TV shows that never ends up working out and (laughs) then you get into the battle scene, but uh, it's so, it's such an ancient concept this, this idea of meeting in the middle ground and negotiating and trying to find, um, trying to find a peace, peaceable solution that can allow both, both uh, opposing sides to walk away with, with their lives and with something that they wanted and with some dignity. It's the um, yes, it's being brave enough to get past the fear of uh, what I'm going to have to give up. Yeah. In order to think not just what's best for me, but what's best for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the a, uh, interesting thing about the um, uh, language of contract and covenant, right? That like in, in the church, we try and use language, or at least in the United Church, we use language of covenant. And, and I always understand that as meaning covenant is a thing where uh, two or more people or groups come together to create a new thing. They right. all put in something of themselves to create a new thing. Whereas contract is you put in X because you're going to get Y. Mm-hmm. Or right? you just had to. You're investing in order that you get something back on your investment. And if we thought a little, and, and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of guts to go, I'm not just going to go into this for what's best for my side. I'm going to go into it for what's best for everybody. Because part of the fear, of course, is that you know darn well that behind you, many on your side are going, you better make the best deal for us. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not thinking what's good for everybody. Right. They're thinking our army's stronger. I just want to get in there, kill the enemy. Yeah. Because we're still at enemy, right? right. And because we're afraid to not be. Yeah. And it takes a lot. And, and that, so if again, you place... that's the thing about a lot of the things we're having conversations around right now, right, is that people are afraid to uh, people are afraid sometimes to get into discussions around reconciliation and things like that because they see it as I have to give something up or they see it as as I'm going to be held responsible for something sorry accountable rather than responsible I'll be made wrong for it yeah Um, Yeah. it's going to make me look like I'm the bad guy it's going to make me look like I'm in the wrong I'm going to lose and but it's not about that it's about making things better for everyone Right. If we if we went into that way, um, you know, it would be less about how everything has been. It could potentially be less about how everything has been engineered to favor one particular part of society or one particular, say, race in society um, and be about what's best for everybody. Uh, And and in order to do that, we initially will need to ensure that. What's best for everybody means parts of society are going to get more. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to because we d- we're not all. You can't just kind of go. That's the difference between um, equality and equity, right? Um, is is equity ensures that people get what they need, not that we all get the same. Because equality implies that we all started from the same place, and we don't, right? We we just don't. Far from it. Um, and so we need equity to ensure that people who have greater needs receive what they need to deal with those greater needs, like greater so, than, than these people. But then it becomes, yeah, but he's getting more than me. But there's a reason for that. Yeah. 
And are you and talking it, about the federal deficit right now, Robin? And how I wasn't we, actually, we should but all, we should have a, a, a rich tax to tax the people who've done well through the pandemic, and in order to displace you mean the, you mean people like how uh, how Elon Musk is going to make one point three billion dollars yeah. while people are still losing their jobs, <laughs> exactly. things like that. Yeah. Um, no, I actually wasn't going there. I was actually uh, thinking more around. Um, issues around uh indigenous people and people mm-hmm. of color and uh but sure let's go there I too mean, you can apply it to anything um, and now we're but running see, out right of time away, right away i just want to say right away that paced me as some some far left crazy liberal i used the l word i know that's not allowed <laughs> but um but the thing is it it's it's not it's not about being conservative or liberal um because they're they're actually two different things, right? Conservatives about conserving, like not changing anything. So you definitely don't want to go there because things have to change. They mm-hmm. absolutely have to change. Um, if you want to talk about like fiscal management or you want to talk, it, that's a different thing. I I, th- I think it's just my opinion. Um, but um, it, this is where we start to get into people are afraid again, afraid of what they have to give up. Or that they're going to be blamed, or mm-hmm. they're going to be held accountable. What might because I lose? responsibility means fault, yeah, right? Except to... it doesn't. We've learned that. We've also learned things like um, it's about investment, right? I am not going to put something into that unless I'm going to get something back. And it needs to be more about I'm going to put something into that in order that we're all going to benefit. Yeah, your concept of covenant. And community, right? The common unity, so the, the, the clock is ticking, um, both on wrapping up this conversation, but also just on the doomsday clock. And we're getting close to midnight. So the good thing about that is that sometimes there needs to be that pressure in order to create a sense of urgency and expedite. Ch- I mean, think of how quickly a lot of our systems and processes and things have been overhauled overnight because of the pandemic. And in a way that, or at a speed that we never thought would have would have been possible, and we probably haven't seen since World War II in terms of industries, you know, uh, overnight going from manufacturing um, hockey equipment to all of a sudden pumping out uh, medical uh, protective equipment for people. There's there's so many examples of of ways in which urgency has this positive benefit of helping to accelerate action and mm-hmm. and give that that push for more immediate and, and faster action but you also don't want to have everyone panicking so right. we're teetering on that that balance of creating taking that raw energy of of urgency and the uh, the commitment of people who are willing to be responsible and say i i choose to be responsible for any for whatever issue you're talking about and we've listed and touched on many today and then um and then seeing what you can achieve i guess yeah can i just say just as you were talking about that too it reminded me that um the thing is um you know we have these various things are you know threat levels um are metered from green to red right and once you're in the red zone, you're in the red zone. Um, and but the thing about the thing about having a clock is that it gives you an opportunity to think in a much more metered way, right? Like if you're in the red zone, you're in the red zone. But if you're at a hundred seconds to midnight, or you're at four minutes to midnight, or you're at quarter to midnight, that's a, that's a more um, meticulous detailed way of seeing it right mm-hmm. um but it's also important uh, and i think maybe that's why they went with the clock idea it's also though important to remember that you can't uh, i'm gonna quote share turn back time right <laughs> you can't just because you're moving the clock back doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're moving time back it doesn't right. mean that you're moving um you know the the progress of uh, I hate that word, but the progress of things through time, you're you're not moving that back. You're still moving forward. In fact, the more you move the clock back, the more likely you are to be moving forward, 
right? Um, it's only when it actually strikes midnight that you're going to have to stop moving forward because, well, that's it. Game over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I think that's 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 important to remember though is that you can't you can't kind of um, go back to a kinder, gentler time because there'll be something wrong with that. Right. There will. Um, we need to keep. We need to be sure that we're still going forward, but at the same time, we're doing that in a way that is uh, empowering people um, and and not making them scared. Although, mm. you know, scared people are easier to control, Ben. But we don't want that, no. right? So it takes, in order to do what you're talking about, it does, regardless of what a person's beliefs are, it requires a lot of faith. It does. I yeah. think that's really what ties this all into... It, it requires a lot of understanding that there's a difference between being scared and afraid, right? Uh, I, yeah. I mean, the way we were talking about it before, right? You can be scared of something, um, but you engage it and you you um, either find out that you should be or that you don't need to be. But either way, you find out which, how you're going to deal with it and mm -hmm. what to do with it. You don't just literally run away from it, ignore it, or you know, throw it in a corner and hope it goes away. Yeah. That's part of life. We're here to live it and engage with it. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we should wrap it up there for That's today, it. Robin. Um, but thank you so much, as always. It's inspiring and motivating and fun to just sit with you and talk about life and faith and yeah. some of these important and difficult questions of being human. That's what the podcast is all about. And uh, we appreciate everyone so much for listening. Thanks for joining us this week on Six Ways from Sunday. And if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button to the podcast on your podcast app or on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. We've also got these episodes always archived on our risingspiritministry.com website where you can also find archives of Robin's uh, Sunday morning sermons all through this pandemic. We've been live streaming every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. And uh, Robin's blog is there. Lots of other great content. Check it out. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. <laughs>